New York City in the closing years of the 70s, October 1978 to be exact. With Halloween fast approaching, I was in the city that never sleeps to pay a visit to two individuals. One, a person not known to the mortal masses, but very well known in show business. I do not care much for Frankie Fontaine. He's a bit of a buffoon, egotistical, not to mention annoying. But he was always good for a laugh, and he does have his uses. Most individuals with an extended lifespan tended to think in terms of centuries. Most, but not all. Frankie appeared to be in his mid-thirties. He was older than that, much older, and he conformed his thinking to weeks and months. He also appeared to be that age when he saw to it that Al Jolson became the first mass media star. Of course, mass media at that time was in its infancy, limited to radio and the movies. Having a television in every house was still years in the future, and as for the internet, well, that was just pure science fiction. for the entertainment business. He liked it, particularly the music business, that and all the shady characters behind the glitter of piazzas. Some of these were motorcycle gangs, the people I needed to make contact with. The disaster at Altamont a few years before, the Rolling Stones were on stage and there was a biker gang doing security in the audience. It was well planned. Planned by Frankie, that is. He saw to it that that biker gang was hired in the first place. He also saw to it that the chaos broke out. Why, you may ask? To be honest, I don't know. Perhaps to get back at someone who angered him. Perhaps for no other reason than he could. I have to confess at times, wondering just what Frankie was. An immortal? Some transcendental being? To be honest, I do not know, but that could all wait. What was important to me at the moment was he knew people, a lot of people, specifically human people. Humans I needed to serve as collateral damage. The lift doors opened on the top floor. Here I found his business suite. I entered and was greeted by his assistant and brought into his office. Hey, Byron, you old son of a bitch. How long has it been? So good to see you. Come in, come in. Frankie, still wearing the polyester, I see. Hey, it's cutting edge and fits comfortably. Can I offer you a drink? Whiskey, scotch, dragon's bane? Pass on the dragon's bane. Do you have any mead, though? Uh, no, sorry, no mead. Never understood why you like that swill. Tastes like a diabetic's piss, if you ask me. Marsha! Yes, Mr. Fontaine? Hold all my calls. But, Mr. Fontaine, that Warhol guy called again. He... Tell Mr. Warhol that his musicians suck balls. And not just any balls here, either. I'm talking big, sweating camel balls that have been fermenting in the desert for months. If I can't tell his weird-ass shit, no one can. And you tell him I said that, too. Oh yeah, while you're at it, 
Tell him that Wolfman Jack has no interest in being in one of his films. But, Mr. Fontaine... Just do it, Marsha, and I'll buy you some ice cream later. Yes, Mr. Fontaine. Good kid, that Marsha. Now what can I do for you, pale man? Got another tip for me? Do you have anything like that guitarist in London a few weeks ago? You know Jimmy never liked you. Oh, I know that, but he made me a boatload of cash. Besides, the only thing that sells more records than a popular rock star is a dead popular rock star. I'm curious. Did you arrange his death? Hey, hey, I just sold him the junk. I didn't make him use it. Of course not. Still, it's amazing how you went from talent like that to making disco popular these last few years. The human public is so gullible, Byron. With the right marketing, they'll buy anything. I assume you're behind the whole punk rock thing that's happening right now? Hey, disco is dead. Punk is dead. There's a new kind of music coming up. And that is? I've had my eye on a ten-year-old boy. He lives in Washington State. So what's so special about this boy? He's not the Antichrist, is he? I'm really not ready to deal with that yet. Oh, no, no. Nothing like that at all. All I'll say is this. Remember the name Cobain. Ten or twelve years from now, he's going to be a huge star. Now let's get down to it. Answer the question. Why are you here? You want to meet Donna Summer? Done. Farrah Fawcett? No problem. Something a little less high profile. I have an opportunity for you. An opportunity? A business opportunity, perhaps? Indeed. It has to do with acquired goods. Hey, I can fence anything from a bicycle to a battleship. Things, people, you name it, and I can resell it. Show folk have a lot of money to throw around, and I'm here to catch it. I was hoping you could recommend some muscle, possibly a motorcycle club, to help acquire the goods. What is the location of these goods you speak of? Pennsylvania. Unlike Frankie, the other person I was seeing in New York was anything but a buffoon. Indeed, he was cold, meticulous, lethal in his dealings. To say I was uneasy about this meeting would be an understatement. I sat in a small cafe, sipping chai tea, when he walked in. Father James Malachi, one of the Lord Pontiffs of the Watch, a covert military task force created by the Vatican to deal with supernatural threats. Malachi wore a one-piece suit that was all black, with a small priestly white notch in his neck. But he was substantially more than your average Catholic vicar. When he took note of where I sat, he walked over to me. Pale man. Malachi, I got your message. Good. Do you mind if I sit and share this table with you? Would you go away if I did? No. And here I was, having a pleasant day. Were you now? Yes, but I have a feeling you're about to ruin my day. Zombies. And there it is. The day is now ruined. Why is it always zombies with you guys, or unholy beasts with evil wheels of cheese? You never come up and ask me anything interesting, like what sort of toppings Christ liked on his pizza. Do not blaspheme. Christ never ate pizza. Actually, he did. Made it himself. He loved pepperoni and anchovies. In fact, I recommended he use pizza at the Last Supper, but he went with a whole stale bread instead. Big mistake, if you ask me. Can you imagine how popular Catholicism would be if they revered pizza as a holy sacrament like wine? 
Humorous as ever, pale man. Anyway, zombies, where are they? They haven't shown up yet. Then why is this any of my concern? Malachi simply smiled. Then before I could do so much as blink, he quickly reached out and snapped a bracelet around my wrist. Now that was just rude. What is this, Malachi? I hope it doesn't mean we're dating. It won't come off. And it won't, until I remove it. Call it an insurance policy. An insurance policy, really? You're going with that? Yes, to ensure that you volunteer to deal with a zombie threat. That bracelet is not designed to hurt you, in spite of my insistence that it do so. The Holy Father insisted otherwise, though. Pity, really, but we do need you in top form. The bracelet was made from black stone with a narrow metal ring built into its center. The ring glowing a dull red. That bracelet is forged from Charbiton stone. That's only found in the dwarven mines of Mount St. Helens. Of which were abandoned some time ago. The watch, however, are now mining the stone for our own use. It's impossible to remove it until the task is done. You know why the dwarves stopped mining St. Helens? Because their digging made it unstable. Keep hacking away there and you'll wake the mountain up. Look, we have the situation under control. Safeguards have been put into place to ensure the mountain never erupts. Let's hope you're right. So why me? Well, who better to deal with monsters than another monster? You really need a new opening line, Malachi. That one is getting old. You did good work ten years ago. You prevented a zombie apocalypse from happening. I remember the night of 68 well enough, thank you. So what's going on? Has Lazarus escaped from the watch? Again? No, he is safely under lock and key at the moment. Then what's doing this? I assume it's not a natural occurrence. It's not. The Order is behind it. Ah, the whole Hatfields and McCoys thing. Different sides of the same religious coin. So the Order has found a way to bring about the end of days, eh? The end of the world won't come with a bang or a whimper. If the Order has its way, it'll come with the sound of zombies eating human flesh. How fun. Yes, but there's a difference this time. Zombies have a charming lack of subtlety, and their table manners are simply atrocious. What difference could there be in them this time? Oh, wait, let me guess. They're doing show tunes as well now. (sighs) The Order is going to infect a human with the Lazarus infection. Only the human they infect will not turn into a zombie. I see. A carrier, then. Exactly. Their scientists are working on several biological projects that could end all life on this planet. To make way for the second coming, you do know Christ would be quite sickened by all the death and destruction carried out in his name. The Order is quite driven by a vision of global extermination. The Watch, of course, seeks only to purify the world for the glorious return of Christ by the extermination of monsters, much like yourself. Spare me the fire and brimstone. So, who is this patient Zero? Where can I find them? We have very few specifics, but we do have a name. Barbara Virgo. We know nothing else about her except that she's an American. How appropriate. The United States, the new Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. I tend to agree with the Order on that point. And your agreement is so necessary. The best information we have is that the outbreak will happen in Monroeville. We believe on or near Halloween Day. Where is this Monroeville? 
It's near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What is it with zombies in Pennsylvania? Does she live there? Perhaps. We're not certain. It's possible she's been sent there. Find her. Prevent the outbreak from happening. That may not be as easy as you imply. Just find her and kill her. What's so difficult about that? It's likely that I won't be the only one looking for her. Pennsylvania is not far from Massachusetts. And that's important because... Massachusetts is the feeding ground for a vampire. Yes, it's actually a feeding ground for several vampires. Several is a word that falls short of how many in that location. Tell me, is the watch familiar with the name Hadley Price? Yes, a young vampire. The Boston Archdiocese is keeping her under observation. No doubt she is aware of that. Meaning what? If this little vampire becomes a problem, I am quite certain we can deal with her. You think she will make an appearance in this? She tends to turn up when zombies are sighted. Could be a hobby of hers or something, I'm not sure. She'd really ask her sometime. I mean, comic book collecting would be a lot safer, don't you think? Or maybe stamps? At any rate, there's no reason to believe she won't be involved in this. Once she gets wind of a human carrier, well, she'll be compelled to get involved. Problem solved, then. One way or the other, you will see the demise of Patient Zero. The one thing you may not know about Hadley Price is that she has a soft spot for humans. She likes your kind. It is a major flaw in her character, if you ask me, but it's entirely possible that she may try to protect Patient Zero. That is your problem, Bellman. Deal with it. Find Patient Zero before she does, and kill her. And if Hadley Price is foolish enough to turn up, then exterminate her as well. Charming as ever, Malachi. The Spanish Inquisition would have loved you back in the day. What makes you think I wasn't there? Until later, Pale Man. Sad truth is, I will not find Patient Zero before Hadley Price does. Indeed, if I know anything about her, Hadley's already there in Monrova. But then I need her to find Patient Zero before anyone else can. It's all part of Hadley's role in this. For the moment, I had other things to attend to. Where can I take you this evening, ma'am? The mall, please. The mall it is. So, where are you from? How did you know I was from out of town? Picking you up at a hotel was a big clue. A real Columbo, huh? Any good cab driver, or bartender for that matter, has more than one skill. So, where are you from? Massachusetts. I got a cousin in Worcester. I live a little west of there, in the Springfield area. The cab driver went on to talk about mundane matters. The weather. His kids out trick-or-treating. But my thoughts were elsewhere. I didn't have much to go on. A name, Barbara Virgo. And a place, Monroe, Pennsylvania. And all I knew was that it was going to happen. Soon. No date. No time. Just soon. It was important that I find this woman. Woman? 
Hell, she could be a five-year-old child for all I knew. For that matter, she could be someone's pet collie. It would still work with a dog. Who doesn't like to touch and pet a friendly canine? Everyone loves Lassie, but my dog theory was unlikely. I needed to stay focused. Stop going off on theoretical what-ifs. In my search so far, I haven't found her. I've been following up on information that came my way. A lot of it was hearsay, unconfirmed rumors, dead ends. I've been doing that passively for a few years, and more actively the last year or so. And still, nothing. I was weary of the search, and decided to allow myself the night off. Go shopping. Maybe see a movie. And I could do both those things at the Monroeville Mall. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll meet some cute guy and bring him back to my hotel room. <sighs> yeah, if that's gonna happen. I have no problem finding men to satisfy my thirst for human blood. But finding a man who likes me and wants to date me? Not so much. Oh well, a girl can dream. And that was Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin here on WERC. It's hard to believe the song is 10 years old now, but still holds up. Hey, what are you doing on Halloween? Same old dull trick-or-treating? Why not join us instead for a screening of the Night of the Living Dead at Showcase Cinemas at the Monroeville Mall? That's right, George Romero's horror classic, Night of the Living Dead, for one night only. And we got your tickets here on your Halloween rock and roll station, WERC. Stay tuned for your chance to win. More tunes in your ears after these messages. That'll be five fifty, ma'am. Here. Keep the change. From a twenty? Thank you very much. You have yourself a happy Halloween now. You as well. Thank you. Halloween was still two days away. Humans love the cartoonish half-holiday that they've made it. I've always seen it as an in-denial defense mechanism of the modern masses. Make a joke of the fact that, in reality, they all were terrified of things that go bump in the night. And since I'm one of those things, Halloween always amused me with its human naivete. Behind all the neon-orange plastic jack-o'-lanterns and Count Chocula cuteness, they were confessing what they were most frightened of. Ghosts. Vampires. Zombies. Yes, zombies. The reason I'm here, in Monroeville, is to find Barbara Virgo, otherwise known as Patient Zero. The Mall, the natural habitat of the human teenager. My thoughts drifted back to when I was a human teenager. It was the 1870s. The Civil War was still a recent memory when I was in my teens. We had sports venues, majestic theaters, and churches back then, but nothing like this. Nothing this big. This was a grand cathedral on the altar of the American dollar a permanent structure that catered to the vanity of the consumer. It was so contrived, so superficial. Yet here I was, willingly opening myself to the power of suggestion to buy something 
and frankly, enjoying it. Shopping is so much fun. Welcome to Orange Julius. How can I help you? One, please. What size? Large. I paid the young man for my Orange Julius and walked away from the vendor stall. An odd beverage, Orange Julius. The only place people drink it is in malls. You never see it anywhere else. And again, I was willingly completing the cliché. Because I too was sipping one in the mall. I can be so 20th century sometimes. I stopped to look at a pair of shoes on display. Through the glass of a high-end shoe store, a really cute pair of heels, black with sequins. I had the perfect black sequin dress to go along with them back home. I've always thought of sequins as rather tacky, but it is the fashion uniform. One worn in the likewise tacky environment of a disco. I never enjoyed such places. The music had no subtlety, just repetitive, but it was easy pickings. With an invitation that implied free sex or free lines of coke, I could lure anyone in a disco to a more secluded, darkened place to drink from their neck. This shoe store probably wouldn't have my size, and they would probably offer to special order them. I couldn't walk out of the store wearing them. Over the decades, I've learned to discern the loud sounds of the human voice. Some were joyful, and others weren't. What I just heard definitely wasn't. I went to the railing, looked over it, and down to the first floor, to the direction of what could only be the scream of a woman in distress. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! No! A woman was on the floor, a pool of her blood around her body. There were others down there. Hovering over them were other people. I ran to a nearby stairway to get down there, to the first floor, knowing that those were not other people. I was hoping to find patient zero before this happened. I had hoped that I could prevent it from happening, but I was too late. It had begun. That did, however, give me one important piece of information that I didn't have, her location. The zombie outbreak was here, in the shopping mall, and that meant she was here, somewhere. It's easy to know where the worst of an initial zombie outbreak is. Just look to see where the humans were running away from. I ran in that direction. Keeping my speed to a human level as not to give away that I'm not human. I'm very used to hiding what I am. I couldn't save all of these humans. The outbreak was too sudden. The zombie numbers grew too fast. It caught me totally off guard. It must be one of Murphy's laws. I stay on top of my game all the time, but what happens on the rare occasion that I give myself a night off? The damn zombies show up! It was just a feeling, but something told me I wouldn't have time to finish my Orange Julius. Pity, really. I was rather enjoying it. I couldn't just stand by and do nothing. So I did a quick triage of those closest to me, assessing who could survive with my help and overlooking those who couldn't. Maybe I can give at least these people near me a fighting chance, if I mow down a few of the zombies. Be there, Apple Point! What are you, some kind of kung fu grasshopper 
martial arts skill? Something like that. And don't call me half pint. I knew it wasn't wise to let the humans see that I'm faster and stronger than them. That I have fighting skills. That I'm not afraid of zombies. But things were happening too quickly. I didn't have the luxury of secrecy. No, they didn't guess that I'm a vampire, and if they did, the zombies were the more immediate. The real problem was, they started calling out to me in the hopes that I would save them. They didn't care how or why. They only knew that I was effective in dealing with them. Some zombies prefer to eat human brains, but these zombies went for the soft flesh of the torso, bypassing the thick bone of the cranium. They tore into the soft flesh, pulled out handfuls of bloody guts. I've seen this kind of thing before, and it never fails to gross me out. I can't imagine how shocking this is to the humans who are witnessing it for the first time. What's happening here? Are those intestines? What sort of party is this? Listen to me, all of you! No time to explain, just run! Run for your lives! Slowly, one by one, they made tracks to leave. One man took a few steps toward a sitting bench. On it was a large bag with what looked like a mid-sized box inside. You! Run! I'm just getting my new Betamax video camera. Leave it! Run now! Leave it? Do you know how much this thing cost? How long I had to save up? Hey, hey, what what are you doing? The moment or two that he was at a complete stop was all the time needed for two zombies to fall upon him and drop him to the floor. His Betamax camera hit the ground hard and smashed into pieces. Didn't have the heart to tell him he was being killed over dead-end technology. No one really liked Betamax much. VHS, on the other hand, was the real way to go. But as his guts were being ripped out and devoured, I doubt he really would have cared all that much. It was at that moment that I saw her. Humans have one of three responses when they first see the savage behavior of zombies. Flee, fight, or freeze. Most flee, but this girl was frozen in place. She was a pretty girl of slight build and average height, whose head looked like a light bulb. She wore the contemporary full Afro hairstyle of her African-American heritage. She wore a gauzy cotton blouse, bell-bottom jeans, and wire-rimmed spectacles. On the floor next to her were shopping bags from Fashion Bug and The Gap. She dropped them there. She was a mole rat, a typical American teenager. There was something not very typical about her. Or rather, not typical of the way the zombies were around her. They didn't attack her. All around, humans were being forced to the floor Their bodies were dismembered and internal organs devoured by dead. But her? They didn't even approach her. They veered away. It was like she wasn't even there. The dead ignored her completely. There could be only a couple of explanations for that. Was she a necromancer? No. They tend to wear long black robes and have a pompous attitude of superiority to all things around them. 
a necromancer would never defile themselves by shopping at the Gap. It would be far too common for their ilk. Besides, she was far too young. I'd never met a necromancer under 40. It takes them decades just to master the ability to control the dead in any way that was useful. That left only one explanation. The zombies recognized her as one of their own. And now I had to recognize her for what she is. Patient Zero. You've been listening to The Byron Chronicles and Tales of the Vampire Hadley Price Halloween Special The Dawn of 78 Part 1 Patient Zero Written by Warren Onifer and Eric L. Busby Featured in the cast were David Alt as Byron Natalie Van Sistine as Hadley Price Ellie Hirschman as Frankie Fontaine Julian Bain as The Watch Supreme Command Carissa DeWitt as Marcia, Mondaine Matt as the Betamax guy, Kevin Tremblay as Tucker T. Schwab, Warren Onifer as the cab driver, Peter Lutz as the Orange Julius vendor, special appearance by Clyde Lewis as the DJ, music by Kevin McLeod, Adrian Von Ziegler, and Maddie Capelli, Byron theme by Kai Hartwig, script edited by Rick Myers. This episode was produced and directed by Eric Busby. This is Darren Marlar. You've been listening to an Eric Busby production, copyright 2016.